Judges chapter 9 tonight. Judges chapter 9. And we are finally going to add a new judge to our list. And that name is Abimelech. Now, it's not spelled out in the Bible that Abimelech was uh, a judge. But I'm going to count him as one mainly because of what it says in Judges 10. We're in Judges 9 tonight, but in Judges 10, 1, it says, And after Abimelech there arose to defend Israel, Tola, the son of Pua, the son of Dodo, the man of Issachar, and he dwelt in Shammer, and Mount Ephraim. And so the way it words that there, you know, it's like after Abimelech, it was like he was a judge, and he did um, kind of take, we're going to see he's going to take care of some enemies of Israel. Doesn't mean he was a very good guy, but he did kind of uh, end up accomplishing some good for Israel in a way. Uh, so we're going to add him to our list. And so let's go ahead and say them all together. And that is Othniel, Ehud, Shamgar, Deborah, Gideon, Abimelech. And next week when it's going to start getting hard because it's going to, we're going to add a few uh, names and ones that are not used a lot. Then the Bible says very little about. So it starts getting hard next week. But here we are in chapter nine. And if you remember, uh, Gideon had 70 sons. He had many wives. Gideon, he had a, he was a great man, but he also had a lot of problems too. And I want to show you something. I want to use uh, something that we're going to see in this chapter tonight as a way to illustrate a very important truth that you need to get a hold of when studying your Bible. Otherwise, you can be very confused by really a lot of wicked things that we see great men of the Bible do. And sometimes Christians, carnal Christians, will use these things as an excuse for them committing some pretty big sins. And I'm telling you, there is no excuse for that. And there is a way we can look at this and understand this. And, and don't worry, these guys didn't get away with anything. They did not get away with anything, especially Gideon. It's like, man, Gideon, he's looked at as such a great man, but look at this guy. You know, he was idolatrous. He had 70 wives. That's not fair. Well, first off, he doesn't get away with it because we're going to see what ends up happening to his 70 sons is horrible. Is absolutely horrible what ends up happening to his family. Gideon didn't get away with anything. But it says, And Abimelech, the son of Jeroboam, went to Shechem unto his mother's brethren and communed with them and with all the family of the house of his mother's father, saying, Speak, I pray you, in the ears of all the men of Shechem, whether is better for you, either that all the sons of Jeroboam, which are threescore and ten persons, reign over you, or that one reign over you. Remember also that I am your bone and your flesh. And his mother's brethren spake of him in the ears of all the men of Shechem, all these words, and their hearts inclined to follow Abimelech, for they said, he is our brother. Now, it's very important that we get a hold of what's going on here in this story, because Abimelech, he is he's the son of a concubine. And a concubine... Sometimes they're referred to as wives in the Bible, but they were kind of a lower ranking wife that you could, you could say. And so Abimelech seems that he's the son of a concubine and not just a concubine, but a concubine from Shechem. Basically Gideon's woman that he would visit when he was in Shechem. So somebody who's not even fully Jewish, this guy doesn't have a chance of being the next leader. Gideon's got 70 other sons from actual wives. So Abimelech knows if he is going to have any chance of being the kind of the next one that's in charge, 
he's going to have to steal it. He's going to have to get it illegitimately. And part of the problem, what we're seeing here is just, again, you shouldn't have concubines. You shouldn't have a whole bunch of wives. It creates a lot of family problems and it's about to get really bad here. But notice too, that these people, they were from Shechem. Now, if that name is familiar to you, it's probably, you might remember the story of Dinah in Genesis and Shechem and how she went and uh, lay with Shechem. I'm not a hundred percent sure this is the exact same group. I believe it probably is. Um, it could be another person named Shechem where these people came from, but I'm pretty sure this is the same story. But either way, this is a reminder of why it was important for Israel to follow the commandments of God. They were supposed to drive these other people out of the land, but they did not completely follow the Lord. They put these people under tribute. So here you've got a group of people that are under tribute. They're not going to conquer the land anytime soon. And so who do you want to be over you? Jews of another group or somebody who's actually your brother, somebody who's related to you, somebody who's more likely to favor you. So obviously they like the idea of Shechem being, uh, being in charge. So they end up kind of rallying behind him. But again, Abimelech is not going to be legitimately selected. He is going to basically self-appoint himself to this role of leader or judge. And so since he can't get his position legitimately, he creates his opportun- his own opportunity, which will come back to haunt him later. And so in uh, verse 4, it says, And they gave him three score and ten pieces of silver out of the house of Baal-Bereth, wherewith Abimelech hired vain and light persons which followed him. And, and this is where I get the title of my sermons, and I'm calling this one Abimelech and his flying monkeys. Okay, Abimelech and his flying monkeys. Now, wicked people, you know, they like to have kind of their posse of goons following them around to do their dirty work. We see even in the book of Acts, what did the Jews do? They went and they got certain lewd fellows of the baser sort to do the dirty work against the apostles because they, they don't want to get themselves in trouble. And Abimelech, because he's somebody who is in no position to be the next judge, he's in no position to take over his father's role, but he wants it. He wants this job. He wants this role. So what does he do? He goes and he gets a following to make himself look like he's great, but he's not going to get wise men. He's not going to get men of conviction because wise men or men of conviction are going to reject him. But if he can get a bunch of men to do his bidding, he can look like he's got some power. And so he gets vain and light men. Uh, and they're the ones following him. And so uh, these are these people are a group of expendables, you could call them. He said in the modern term that people use today are flying monkeys. And if you're not familiar with that reference, uh, you know, on the Wizard of Oz, you've got the witch who has these flying monkeys that do her bidding. And I think it's interesting too, you know, there's that famous scene where they're all just beating the stuffing out of the straw man, the scarecrow. And isn't it interesting the way you have people out there, certain narcissistic type personalities that are really good at getting a bunch of flying monkeys all stirred up and attacking people online. It's, it's interesting. And I, often when I see those things take place, when you see somebody kind of give the word, this person's a reprobate, and then all these people descend upon them, usually arguing foolishness, I just see a bunch of flying monkeys beating up the scarecrow. 
you know, and that, that's all it is, beating up a straw man. And it's, I think it's a good picture, but that's kind of the modern way people put it. They like to talk about narcissists and their flying monkeys. And it's a real thing. But it says, and he went into his father's house at Ophrah and slew his brethren, the son of Jeroboam, being three score and ten persons upon one stone, notwithstanding, yet Jotham, the youngest son of Jeroboam, was left, for he hid himself. And this right here, this seems like the most unnatural thing in the world, killing your own brothers. But you know what? That's not foreign to the Bible. I mean, Cain killed his brother Abel, didn't he? Attacking your brothers doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It's very unnatural. But understand, Abimelech didn't grow up in a model home. Abimelech grew up in Shechem, you know, around other people. He didn't grow up around these brothers. He was somebody who, yeah, he was related to them, but he was kind of an outcast. And so when you have a home that's not the way God intended, a lot of things God never intended are going to take place and are going to happen. And so we're seeing another result of disobeying not just the commands of God, but even just the principles set forth in God's Word. And you might say, well, where was the command back then to only have one wife? Where, where was the command? Have you ever thought about when did it become a sin to marry multiple wives? Where's, I mean, where is that command? Can it, does anybody know where the first time we see in the Bible only have one wife? That's it. Now, that doesn't sound like a command. That just sounds like it's what happened. But that is, in fact, the Bible showing us that it's only supposed to be one man and one woman. These two become one flesh. And Jesus used that. In Genesis, but in Genesis 2.24, it says, Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. You say, well, it doesn't say you can't have two. It it shouldn't need to say that. There are some things that should go without saying. And when the Bible says, uh, that for this cause shall man leave his father and mother, cleave unto his wife, singular, and they too shall be one flesh. I don't see where God puts it in here where there can be an, an extra one. I don't see that. And, and the fact that you need it to be more specific shows that you are wicked. That That's what we see in the Bible. And so... Some things should go without saying. And in Matthew 19, verse 3, but here's the thing. Man did what man wanted to do for a long time. And man chose to multiply wives. Man wanted to be able to get divorced if they felt like it. Man wanted to do all these things, but these things were never God's intention. And in Matthew 19, 3, it says, The Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him, and saying unto him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? And he answered and said unto them, have ye not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female and said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore they are no more twain but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. So the thing is, there wasn't a command in the Bible that said, Thou shalt not get a divorce. But the very fact that the two became one flesh, the very fact that God joined them together that should have been enough. And the fact that people need, needed more than that, the fact that the Pharisees are asking this question, tempting Christ, it showed a wicked heart. And let me tell you, there, is just some, there are some things we just shouldn't have to make a rule for. But you know what? When you have wicked people, you do. There are some, you know, as our church 
grows. We might have to add rules occasionally. But the truth is, you know, we just we shouldn't have to make a rule about not putting gum under the seats. You know, we haven't put that up on a sign anywhere. I don't think that's a rule anywhere. But do we need to make that a rule? You know, you know. Well, what are you going to do? I mean, if, if you do it, I, I really thought that far, and I hope I don't have to figure that out. I'd like to think if somebody was dumb enough to do that, we could just tell you, don't do that, and you'd quit. But you know, if you didn't quit, if you just kept putting gum under the seats every week, I don't, pretty soon we might just throw you out of the church. I don't see where in the Bible, you know, you get thrown out of church for sticking gum under the seats. Well, you know what? Maybe we're throwing you out for just being a jerk. Maybe we're throwing you out for just being an idiot. I know, you know, either way, it's like, do we really have to even talk about that? How about you just don't put gum under the seats? And nobody's put gum under the seats from what I've seen. I haven't, I haven't checked. Uh, but if, if you have been doing that, I'm not sniping you. I honestly haven't seen that. But Galatians 3.18, see, we, we need to understand that in a perfect world, there's really no need for laws. Laws come as a result of evil. It says in Galatians 3.18, For if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more a promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. Wherefore then serveth the law, it was added because of transgressions, till the seed should come, to whom the promise was made, and it was ordained by angels in the hands of a mediator. God had to give Israel laws, because if God didn't give Israel laws with all the wicked that they were doing, they were going to self-destruct. They would not have survived as a people until the Messiah came or until the seed came. So God kept adding laws. As time went on, we see laws being added. But you know what? When Was sodomy bad before Leviticus 20.13? Well, of course it was. I mean, God said the men of Sodom in Genesis 13 were wicked and exceeding sinful. Well, by what law? How about the law of nature? You know, how about that? How about... For this cause shall a man leave a father and mother and cleave unto his wife. And they twain should be one flesh. God didn't make any provision for men and men to, and women and women to, to do that. God did not do that at all. It's, it's, not, it's not in nature. It's not normal. It's not natural. But those things were always wrong. And God destroyed that city as a lesson to everyone that afterwards should live ungodly. So the thing is, there should, you know, there's, there shouldn't be a need for Leviticus 20.13. But you guess what? God had to put it in the law because men were wicked. Because men do crazy things. And we see in 1 Timothy 1.9, Paul said, Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, and for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men-stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. Folks, we shouldn't have to have a law saying no kidnapping. But guess what? Wicked people kidnap. And they ought to, they ought to suffer for that. And so we have to have laws for these things. And so wrong is wrong, with or without the law. God giving us a law, it was, it was a good thing because one, it helps us see our need for a Savior, but also it gives us some guidance so we can survive as a people. You know why? Because we don't want the land vomiting out the inhabitants that are in there. And so the thing is, I'm glad we have the law of God. I'm glad Leviticus 20.13 is in the Bible. I'm glad thou shalt not commit adultery is in the Bible. But the reality is, we shouldn't need these things. 
You know, I, I, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure even without Leviticus 20.13, if the Bible had said nothing about homosexuality, I still wouldn't be one. I'd like to think, I, you know, I, I, I'm convinced of that. Even without the Bible. But guess what? There's some wicked people in this world. And so we've got to have that. You know, God had to put that in the Bible. And it's a, and it's a good thing He did. And I'm, and I'm glad it's there. So, um, so it, you know, what a sad story this is, though, with Gideon's son, with Abimelech. I mean, killing his own brother. And I do, I find it interesting here how this, you know, this, Abimelech is a narcissist. He fits the profile. You know, how he kills all of his brethren because this is often how wicked people try to get to the top. They do it by taking everyone down, by attacking all the good people. And that's what this guy did. He, there's no chance of him naturally elevating to leadership. So what does he do? He just eliminates the competition in the most barbaric, unnatural way, killing 70 of his own brethren. And it says, And all the men of Shechem gathered together and all the house of Milo and went and made Abimelech king by the plain of the pillar that was in Shechem. And so the whole reason the men of Shechem did this, because they've got to know this is such a barbaric thing, but they saw this as beneficial to them. Hey, we can benefit if Abimelech's in charge. This will help us you know, move up the ranks. If one of our brothers is actually king, then he's not going to do mean stuff to us. He's going to give us a break. This is the way we can elevate ourselves to the top two. And typically in the flying monkey world, you know, they are. that It's people who are trying to ride on someone's coattails, hoping they can get moved up the ranks a little bit. And it just really fits the, you know, these people really fit the profile. And so it says in verse 7, And when they told it to Jotham, he went and stood in the top of Mount Gerizim and lifted up his voice and cried and said to them, Hearken unto me, ye men of Shechem, that God may hearken unto you. The trees went forth on a time to anoint a king over them, and they said unto the olive tree, Reign thou over us. And I believe what he's doing here is he's making a reference to what happened when they asked Gideon to be the king. Because if you remember in the previous chapter, after Gideon won that battle, the people wanted to make him a king, but Gideon did the right thing and he said, the Lord shall rule over you. Gideon did not accept Israel's request for him to be king. And so I believe this oak tree that he's talking about, because Jotham, he's getting poetic and he's getting prophetic, very prophetic here. And he says, the oak tree that you all wanted to be king refused. But the, but the olive tree said unto them, should I leave my fatness uh, whereby, uh, wherewith by me they honor God and man and go to be promoted over the trees? And the tree said to the fig tree, come now and reign over us. But the fig tree said unto them, should I forsake my sweetness and my good fruit and go to be promoted over the trees? Then said the trees unto the vine, come now and reign over us. And the vine said unto them, Should I leave my wine, which cheereth God and man, and go to be promoted over the trees? Now, I don't know for sure. I don't, but it, what, what it looks like is going on here is he's kind of going down inferior trees. So it's like you started out asking for Gideon. He said no. You started with the oak. Then you went to the fig tree. Then you went to the olive tree. And then you went to the vine. And all, and so I don't know if there was other people that they had tried getting to be king over them. I don't know. But either way, you, either way you spin it, 
We're going to inferior things. And all of the inferior things are refusing this request to be a king. And then notice what he says here in verse 14. Then said all the trees unto the bramble, come now and reign over us. Now, I'll tell you who this bramble represents. It represents Abimelech. Abimelech is the bramble, and a bramble is just a bush of thorns that doesn't produce any fruit. This is something that's bad. This is something that has no value. And that's basically what he's saying about Abimelech. He's like, you know, you started out asking for Gideon for the oak. You know, you asked all these other people. They all refuse, but then you go to the bramble, and he accepts, is what what he's basically saying here. You went to the bottom of the barrel. That's who you chose to put over you. Kind of like Chicago when they chose Lori Lightfoot. And then the Bramble literally just put the city in the sewer more than it had ever been. And you know what they eventually do? Uh, you know, the city turned on the Bramble because she did so much damage. And we're going to see the same thing happen here. I'm glad I got to throw that in there because I was glad to see that the cave troll uh, got ousted. I thought that was a good thing or the sewer troll, whatever you want to call her. But uh, that was a good that was a good day for Chicago. But anyway, so the Bram, so this is Jotham is basically showing how they're lowering their standard, looking for a king. The good people are refusing the job. The least qualified one, he accepts it. Abimelech, bottom of the barrel, and it says, "And the bramble said unto the trees, If in truth ye anoint me king over you, then come and put your trust in my shadow, and if not." Let fire come out of the bramble and devour the cedars of Lebanon. Now, therefore, if you have truly and if you have done truly and sincerely, in that you have made Abimelech king, and if you have dealt well with Jeroboam and his house, and have done unto him according to the deserving of his hands, for my father fought for you and adventured his life far and delivered you out of the hand of Midian. And ye are risen up against my father's house this day and have slain his sons, three score and ten persons upon one stone and have made Abimelech the son of his maidservant, king over the men of Shechem because he is your brother. If ye then have dealt truly and sincerely with Jeroboam and with his house this day, then rejoice ye in Abimelech and let him also rejoice in you. But if not, and you really think you did a good thing in killing the sons of Gideon, the guy who delivered you from the hands of the Midian, hey, if you did good, go ahead and rejoice. But if not, if you did bad, and I like how he said that too, because I think these people knew that what they did was wrong. I mean, if they had any kind of conscience at all, they had to have known what they did was wrong. And so he said, but if not, let fire come out from Abimelech and devour the men of Shechem. And remember how we saw earlier when he's prophesying, he talks about how the, you know, the uh, fire came from the bramble and devoured the cedars of Lebanon. Okay, and, and a bramble is not going to defeat the cedars of Lebanon. But because what these people did and you know, going along and aligning themselves with this horrible individual, he's basically prophesying you are going to be destroyed by that bramble. That bramble who was nothing who you were stronger than, he is actually going to go and destroy you as judgment for what you did in lining up with this guy. And so it says, let fire come out from Abimelech and devour the men of Shechem and the house of Milo and let fire come out from the men of Shechem and from the house of Milo and devour Abimelech. And Jotham ran away and fled and went to Beer and dwelt there for fear of Abimelech 
his brother. So he said, if what you did was wrong, and he's being prophetic, fire is going to come from that bramble or Abimelech and devour you. And then, also, also you're going to go and devour Abimelech. You're all going to, you're all going to die. You're all going to suffer. You're all going to eat each other alive, basically. So he's getting very poetic here and prophetic at the same time. It's a really cool passage. And he's showing how, uh, how what they had done, it was wrong. They should have remembered what Gideon had done for them. And this sin of theirs would not go unpunished. He is basically telling them, Abimelech's going to be your undoing. You all thought you saw an opportunity to elevate yourselves as a people, but what you did, it was wrong. It was against God. It was against humanity. And you are going to suffer and be finished as a result of that. And so when you do things in a dishonest manner, you know, then you're going to have, have to surround yourself with dishonest people. And, that's what, and it's going to come back to haunt you later. And that's what Abimelech did. That's why you know, he was surrounded by so many bad people. That's why there were so many traitors in his life we're about to see. Because you, you, go, you scrape the, from the bottom of the barrel, you know, you're going to have a lot of problems. When you get vain and light persons to hang around you just to make yourself look like you're something, it's going to come back to haunt you. You'd be better off having just a few decent people than a whole bunch of sorry people following after you. And so it said, And when Abimelech had reigned three years over Israel, then God sent an evil spirit between Abimelech and the men of Shechem, and the men of Shechem dealt treacherously with Abimelech. So, you know, Abimelech got three years. Three years he got to reign over the people. Three years he got to be in charge. But God remembered what Abimelech had done. And God sends this evil spirit between the two. And all of a sudden now, we're about to see them start fighting with each other. And the flying monkeys are about to turn on the Wicked Witch of the West, basically, is what, is what we're going to end up seeing here. And I, I have, listen, I have no doubt in my mind, God still works this way in nations, in governments, and even churches, where you can have, that can happen where an evil spirit can come in, even in, into a church, and people just start going after each other for crazy things. You know, and it is, I, I mean, I've, I've talked to pastors before, and they'll just kind of talk about just, you know, some of these just crazy, spirits and attitudes and things going on in the church and it's like you know just people fighting over dumb stuff you know what is it you know it's i believe sometimes god sends these things in you know because they're being judged because they're being punished maybe to stir them up i believe god does that kind of thing in nations and gets them all hating on each other fighting with each other uh there's no doubt god does this kind of thing we see it we see this throughout the bible and that's exactly what's going on here and so, notice what it says in verse 24. It says that the cruelty, so this is why God's doing this, that the cruelty done to the threescore and ten sons of Jeroboam might come and their blood be laid on Abimelech, their brother, who slew them, and upon the men of Shechem, which aided him in the killing of his brethren. And basically, this is whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap in the Old Testament. Because... Abimelech and the men of Shechem, they're all guilty. And God's going to punish them all. And the way God decides to punish them is He gets them basically fighting with each other. So verse 25, And the men of Shechem set liars in wait for him in the top of the mountains. And they robbed all that came along that way by them. 
and it was told Abimelech. And Gael, the son of Ibed, came with his brethren and went over to Shechem, and the men of Shechem put their confidence in him. And they went out into the fields and gathered their vineyards and trod the grapes and made merry and went into the house of their God and did eat and drink and cursed Abimelech. And so notice all of a sudden, the mobs just completely turned on Abimelech. Some other guy comes along, sweet talks them a little bit, and what are they doing? They're all cursing Abimelech together. And let me tell you, you know, the mob, the flying monkey types, the goon squads, the water boys, the, you know, all the stooges, whatever you want to call these people, they are always just going to go along with whoever looks like they are in the lead at any given time. You know, it's, they're always going to follow, you know, it's, they're kind of like that, uh, they're, they're, that sports fan who always just happens to be a fan of whatever team is doing good in sports. You know, don't we all get annoyed by those people? It's like, you know, uh, you had a lot of those bandwagon Cub fans, you know, when the Cubs went to the World Series, like, you never liked the Cubs. You were always a White Sox person. Shut up. Some of us have been Cub fans our whole life. Now, of course, I hadn't paid any attention in probably over 10 years of the Cubs, and I kind of got back on the bandwagon. I'll admit that. But, you know, those, those people are annoying. And then they act all excited. It's like you didn't even know who any of the players were before everybody started talking about it. But now, now, now you care. And that's basically what these guys did. When Abimelech was the talk of town, when Abimelech was the guy that was trying to get something going, when they saw an opportunity, let's go with Abimelech. But after three years, they got sick of him. Uh, you know, all right, we, our lives stink just as bad as they did before. Hey, here comes a new guy that's talking a good game. Let's go with this guy and curse Abimelech. This is what the flying monkeys always do. And this is why having vain and light persons follow you is meaningless. We should want to be surrounded by men of conviction. But understand, you get surrounded by men of conviction, they're probably going to tell you things you don't want to hear sometimes. You know, they're not going to just go along with every wicked thing that you want to do. They're not going, they're not going to be that way. They're not going to be useful idiots for you. And that's what, but that's what a lot of people are looking for. But I'm telling you, that always comes back to haunt you. It always comes back to haunt you. Always, you, you want to look for people who are stable. You want to look for people who are loyal. You want to peep, look for people who truly love God. Those are the people we ought to want to surround ourselves with. People that have a track record. Not, not the new biggest talker in town. Not the guy who just comes along and is just saying the most extreme things who has not been tested at all. You got to watch out for that. But the flying monkeys, they get excited by that kind of thing. They are always excited by it, but it, again, you know, they, they change teams all the time. And so that narcissist, he thinks the flying monkeys are great when they're doing his bidding, but look what he always does as soon as they turn on. We're about to see what they do. Because again, nobody cares about flying monkeys. I've talked, I've talked to flying monkeys before and I, you know, and I told them they were a flying monkey. And I told him, just wait until you do not do the Wicked Witch of the West bidding. You will get eaten alive. And, you know, it's, it's just true. It's a fact. It always happens. And notice what it says. And Gael, the son of Ebed, said, Who is Abimelech and who is Shechem, that we should serve him? Is not he the son of Jeroboam and Zebel, his officer? Serve the men of Hamor, the father of Shechem. For why should we serve him? And would to God this people were under my hand. Then would I remove Abimelech? And he said to Abimelech, Increase thine army and come out. 
So now we, we've got him you know, bringing up the fact, not that he is half of the men of Shechem, but no, this is the son of Gideon. So now he's a danger to you guys. We've got to get rid of this guy. You know, and I'm, I'm just taking this story tonight and I'm using it. I thought about like inserting characters in there and making myself the hero of the story like we were talking about last week, but I figured that would be off-putting so I, <laughs> and inappropriate, but at the same time, um, you know, it, it's, it's okay to look at these stories and try to make application and things like that. But, you know, when you're the pastor and you're the, you become the hero of every Bible story, it's pretty off-putting. It's pretty off-putting. So I'm going to spare you all that tonight. Uh, but it says, And when Zebel, the ruler of the city, heard the words of Gael, the son of Ebed, his anger was kindled, and he sent messengers unto Abimelech privily, saying, Behold, Gael, the son of Ebed, and his brethren become to Shechem, and behold, they fortify the city against thee. Now therefore, up by night, thou and the people that is with thee, and lie in wait in the field. And it shall be in the morning, as soon as the sun is up, thou shalt rise early, and set upon the city. And behold, when he and the people that is with him come out against thee, then mayest thou do to them, as thou shalt find occasion." And Abimelech rose up and all the people that were with him by night and they laid in wait against Shechem in four companies. And Gael, the son of Ebed, went out and stood in the entering of the gate of the city. And Abimelech rose up and the people that were with him from lying in wait. And when Gael saw the people, he said to Zebel, Behold, there come people down from the top of the mountains. And Zebel said unto him, Thou seest the shadow of the mountains as if they were men. And Gael spake again and said, See, there come people down by the middle of the land, and another company come along by the plain of Meonim. Then said Zebel unto him, Where is now thy mouth? Wherewith thou said, Who is Abimelech that we should serve him? Is not this the people that hast despised? Go out, I pray now, and fight with them. And Gael went out before the men of Shechem and fought with Abimelech, and Abimelech chased him, and he fled before him, and many were overthrown and wounded even unto the entering of the gate. And Abimelech dwelt in Aroma, and Zebel thrust out Gael and his brethren that they should not dwell in Shechem. No, and no, notice what's going on here. These people that were all kind of aligned at one time are literally all fighting with each other. This is God's judgment on them for the wicked things that they had done uh, to Gideon and his sons. And, and, and remember... Gideon's family had its problems, didn't it? Gideon had his problems, but he was the leader there in Israel. He was a judge that God used. He had done some great things for him, and they should have remembered that. They should have remembered these things, but instead, these people saw an opportunity to elevate themselves, and so they decided the easiest way to elevate themselves was to eliminate Gideon's family, and that was wrong. And now, they are all self-destructing. And it says, And it came to pass on the morrow that the people went out into the field and they told Abimelech. And he took the people and divided them into three companies and laid wait in the field and looked. And behold, the people were come forth out of the city and he rose up against them and smote them. And Abimelech and the company that was with him rushed forward and stood in the entering of gate of the city. And the two other companies ran upon all the people that were in the fields and slew them. And Abimelech fought against the city all that day and he took the city and slew the people that were therein and beat down the city and sowed it with salt. And when all the men of the tower of Shechem heard that, they entered into a hold of the house of the, of the god Bereth 
And it was told Abimelech that all the men of the tower of Shechem were gathered together. And Abimelech got him up to Mount Zalman. He and all the people that were with him. And Abimelech took an axe in his hand and cut down a bow from the trees and took it and laid it on his shoulder and said unto the people that were with him, What ye have seen me do, make haste and do as I have done. And all the people likewise cut down every man his bow and followed Abimelech and put them to the hold and set the hold on fire upon them so that all the men of the tower of Shechem died also about a thousand men and women. And notice how these people all died. They all got burnt up. You know what happened? The bramble devoured the cedars of Lebanon with fire. You know what happened? Jotham's prophecy came to pass. Just as he said, this was God's judgment on these people for what they did to Gideon and his men. And so Abimelech here, he wins a great battle against the men of Shechem. God ends up accomplishing something that he wanted to accomplish before with Israel in removing the men of Shechem. But notice how God used a wicked man to do this. And God, and God used this wicked man to judge a people who had done a wicked thing with this wicked man. So now, do you think Abimelech's going to get away with what he has done? No. God is letting Abimelech take care of these people that align themselves with him. The very man that they align themselves with and committed a horrible sin has just been their undoing, just as was prophesied three years before. By Jotham. And so, uh, the bramble is burning up the cedars of Lebanon. And let me tell you something. The flying monkeys always go down before the narcissist. They're always the last one standing. Because again, they're expendable. And when, when God's going to take down that leader, that wicked leader, you know, that wicked leader is going to make sure his minions all go first. And you know what? They're going to go. It's, it's the way it always works. They're always going to go down first. The, the wicked person, the narcissist, whatever you want to call him, the wicked witch of the West is always going to be the last one standing. So it says in verse 50, Then went Abimelech to Thebes and encamped against Thebes and took it. But there was a strong tower within the city and thither fled all the men and women and all they of the city and shut it to them and gat them up to the top of the tower. And Abimelech came unto the tower and fought against it and went hard under the door of the tower to burn it with fire. So he's going to basically try the exact same method that he used with the other place. And understand, all these victories Abimelech is getting, God is using a wicked man to punish other wicked people. But God is going to make sure Abimelech gets his. Now, we looked at this story a few weeks ago when we were talking about uh, Jael and Sisera and how he was killed by the hand of a woman. But it says here, and a certain woman cast a piece of a millstone upon Abimelech's head and all to break his skull. Then he called hastily unto the young man, his armor bearer, and said unto him, Draw thy sword and slay me, that men say not of me, a woman slew him. And his young man thrust him through, and he died. And we looked at, uh, we're not going to look at it again, but if you remember the story of David and Bathsheba after Uriah was killed, you know, they basically said, hey, they're going to wonder why you 
approach the, the building that way. Remember how Abimelech was killed? A woman took a piece of millstone and hit him on the head and killed him. And then he said, just say Uriah is dead and then the king will be happy. And so, uh, the, hundreds of years later, they're still talking about Abimelech being killed by a woman. And it didn't do him any good that that guy thrust through a woman took out Abimelech. He died. Not only did this, this narcissist, not only did this wicked man die, but he died in a way that brought him great shame. He died in shame. And let me tell you something. I have seen this so many times in my life and I'm going to keep seeing it. I'm, I'm going to keep seeing it. And it's just, it, it's in the Bible. The Bible told us it's going to happen. We're going to keep seeing this kind of thing. But let me tell you, illegitimate pastors and leaders, okay, pastors um, often struggle with narcissism. It's just, you know, when, when you're in a leadership position, when you have people who look to you for leadership, guidance, it is. It's, it's a very easy thing for someone to let happen to them. And it, it's not right. But it's, a, it's something you have to really watch out for. It's going to be a temptation. Uh, that's why the Bible says too in the qualification of a bishop, not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride. He fall into the condemnation of the devil. It's, it's an easy thing to happen. And that's why it's, it is. It's better uh, to, before you put somebody in that position, have somebody that has some experience, somebody that's tested, somebody who's been through some trials, somebody who's even been, you know, been humbled, not in a bad way, but you know, who's, uh, shown humility in areas because you don't want that kind of thing happening. And let me tell you something, especially when it comes to people who clearly should never have been put in a role of pastor or people who are just self-proclaimed or self-appointed pastors, you know, they always end up falling. And you know how a lot of pastors fall, especially ones who fit this profile? Women. Now, obviously, it's not from a woman casting a piece of millstone and physically killing them, but adultery. They fall into temptation of a woman, and they are literally not only disqualified, but completely shamed out of the, out of the ministry. That's what ends up happening with a lot of these people. And we need to understand that, you know, it is, it's, you know, be careful, you know, being someone's flying monkey. Be careful you know, using somebody to just maybe elevate yourself a little bit, who is somebody that we shouldn't be following, somebody who is not legit, because I'm telling you, it will come back to haunt you. And eventually, probably after they've destroyed you, after they've messed up your life, after they've got you in a big mess, they're going to go and they're just going to destroy themselves too. But they're going to be the last ones to go. And let me tell you, one of the things that I've seen too uh, in the past is a lot of churches where pastors have fallen into sin and gotten busted. One of the things that you usually find out too is that church had tons of moral problems already. You know, and it's like, why, you know, why is that? Because people didn't know the pastor was committing adultery. But yet, there was all these moral problems in the church. You know, why did that happen? Well, probably because again, you know, the, the Holy Spirit's not going to bless a church and bless a pastor's preaching when he's being wicked himself. And that pastor, too, is not really going to be capable of leading people towards righteousness and godly living when he's doing that kind of thing. But uh, you know, either way you look at it, a lot, of, a lot of preachers are getting disqualified by women. And, I, and I've seen it more times than I care to even admit. It's almost embarrassing 
sometimes. People that you knew, people that you respected, people that you loved, people that you've had preach for you, people that uh, I've had people that I, I had one guy I was going to have him preach for me. I had, I had him on the schedule to come and he, he kind of canceled on me abruptly. And then I found out after that he was resigning his church because he got busted. He was fooling around with women in his church. You know, and I'm just like, what in the world? You know, and, um, and you know, there's been more than one. People that have come through here, people that I thought were good uh, and respected, and they fell, you know, by the hand of a, a woman. And I'm not blaming the woman for these guys falling. But again, uh, you know, it's, it's not the, it's their own fault. They did it. But at the same time, they were shamed. It is a great shame. That is a terrible way to lose your ministry because you fell morally. You know, I would rather my ministry fail because I'm just a crummy preacher, a crummy pastor, a bad leader, than for moral reasons. You know, I've seen some good people who they're just weren't able to make it. You know, but you know, they tried. God bless them. But I've seen other guys they built successful ministries and then just completely crashed and burned because of sin. You got to watch out for that. But it says in verse 55, and when the men of Israel saw that Abimelech was dead, they departed every man into his place. Thus God rendered the wickedness of Abimelech, which he did unto his father, in slaying his 70 brethren. He should not have attacked his brethren, especially to elevate himself. Yeah, he got three years. But the truth is, you know, he got three years, but, you know, I can't tell you what would have happened for sure. But I'd like to think that if he would have just known his place, you know, if Gideon's sons would have kind of been leaders, you know, in the land of Israel, you know what? I'll bet they would have put Abimelech over the men of Shechem because, hey, they're your brethren. You know, you, you lead there. You help us out. They would have given him something. Wouldn't have been as big. Wouldn't have been as high of a title. But you know what? He could have been successful. He could have been happy. He probably would have had some riches. A lot of things going for him. And a lot of people, they're just not satisfied with what God has for them. If God doesn't want you to be a pastor, don't try to be a pastor. There are some people, they're not qualified to be a pastor, but they want that position so bad and they end up forcing it and they end up just crashing and burning where you know, what they should have done is just been a faithful layman. Maybe they could have been a deacon. Maybe they could have been an assistant pastor or something like that. And God could have used them in a great way and they could have had a ministry that lasts a long time. I know There's a lot of men that I know, guys who have never pastored a church, but they have faithfully served the Lord in ministries under pastors for decades. And a lot of these guys are well-known speakers that preach a lot of different conferences. I've known guys that were, they were youth pastors, but they were in one place for years and God bless them. They preach a lot of youth meetings. They're well-known. They've, they've got good ministries. God's blessed them in a great way. And they've never pastored a church. Pastoring is not the only thing that there is to do. But what a person just needs to do is what is God's will for my life? And then accept that. And let God elevate you if he so chooses. Never do things in an illegitimate way. Never do things that are just flat out wrong. Okay, and obviously in the ministry world, I don't think any of us are literally going to go physically kill people, you know, to elevate ourselves. That's probably not going to work real well. But, you know, I think sometimes, too, we do try to bring everyone down, trying to make them all out to be heretics when they're not, and, you know, just crummy preachers and nitpicking over weird things to try to just delegitimize everyone in the IFB world, so we can be the best. That's, that's not a good thing to do. 
So it says in verse 57, And all the evil of the men of Shechem did God render upon their heads, and upon them came the curse of Jotham, the son of Jeroboam. So what we saw in this chapter, it was a battle between two bad groups. God was judging both sides. The men of Shechem needed to be judged, you know, for what they had done, you know, to Gideon's sons, but so did, so did Abimelech, because he's the one that led it. But here's the other thing too. The men of Shechem weren't even supposed to be in Israel. So guess what? God finally got his will done with those people. It's just too bad Abimelech had to get taken out and had to suffer with them. If Abimelech would have done the right thing, you know, God might have gotten rid of the men of Shechem in some other way and he would have been fine. But either way, Jotham's curse completely and totally came to pass. And so the moral of the story is, you know, don't just, don't be a narcissist or a flying monkey. You know, be someone of conviction and always do right in every situation. Even if that means you're going to have to take a lower seat. Even if that means you're going to have to take a hit. You always do the right thing, whether it be on your job. If it, it, listen, don't cheat to get promoted. Don't cheat to move up the ranks. Don't cheat people to make more money. Don't, don't do that kind of thing. God can't bless that kind of thing. But we can get so focused on just elevating ourselves and accomplishing our personal goal that we do. We do a lot of bad things. Listen, you're always better off, even if it means taking a hit, even if it means taking a demotion, even if it means losing your job. We always should want to have God's favor. That's what we need. And if you do, if you do the right thing and you lose your job, I'm pretty sure God will provide a better one for you. If you lose an opportunity because you were honest and you did the right thing, I think God will provide a better opportunity. And always be thinking long term. That's what we should always do. And so this is why, too, because God, God always takes care of people like this. And God usually does it with other wicked people. You know what we don't see a whole lot of is God having the godly people waste all their time dealing with the ungodly. Okay, And this is why you know, good people, we don't need to waste our time just worrying about righting every wrong, exposing every little thing that somebody does wrong. Just keep doing right and let God take care of the wicked with the wicked. Okay, we'll call stuff out here. We'll call sin, sin. If somebody's a heretic, you know what we'll do? We'll call them a heretic. But you know what we're not going to do? We're not going to go organize protests outside their church. We're not going to go, you know, uh, you know, make it our life's mission to just take these people down. It's a huge waste of time. And God doesn't bless it. And especially if they're your brothers. Especially if they're your brothers. And let me tell you something. Abimelech's brothers probably weren't very good people. Probably had a lot of pretty big faults being sons of Gideon who was very idolatrous and all the problems that they had. They were still his brothers. They were still God's people and a curse came on them for what they did. So you know what? I, I don't want to mess with God's children. You know what? Don't you mess with my kids. You know, they're my kids for me to deal with. Don't you spank my kids. I'll spank my kids. And when God's children need spanked, you know what? Let God do it. We don't need to do it. Not worth it. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for this wonderful chapter and just the inspirational story that's in it. Lord, I pray help us to learn from it. Help us to just trust you. Help us to not get too anxious to just promote ourselves. But help us to just always seek to be in your will and just help us to trust you 
to right the wrongs that are out there and to deal with the wicked and let us just uh, do our thing, go on serve, serving you. In your name we pray. Amen.